0: It's the day after the Feast of Tabernacles. Some commentators say it's still the Tabernacles is going on, but I included the adulterous woman last week in verses 1 through 11, and I get this from chapter 7, verse 37. It says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, so in verse 37 of chapter 7, it's the last day of the feast. You get to chapter 8, verse 2, it's early in the morning, most likely the next morning. So this is right on the heels of the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? It's significant that this, what we have this morning in our text, verse 2 through 30, verse two verse 12 through 30, is on the heels of this feast, it's significant because the Feast of Tabernacles was the lighting of giant lamps in the center court of the tabernacle, most likely uh, where the woman's court was in the tabernacle. Now, the wicks, by the way, were made up of old, worn-out robes of the priests, and that's what they would use to light up the temple there in the middle, and it would just illumine everything around them, and they did this... Uh, as a reminder that God was with them as they wandered throughout the wilderness. Remember the cloud and the light, day and night, and that's how they knew it. So it was a celebration of how God was present with them in their wanderings through the wilderness. And it was on the heels of this that Jesus makes the statement that we have this morning in verse 12, I am the light of the world. So let's stand together as we read our passage this morning, chapter 8 of the gospel of John, verses 12 through 30, verses 12 through 30. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and I and will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Will he? Since he says, where I am, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what I have been saying to you from the very beginning. What have I been saying to you from the very beginning? I have so many things to speak in the judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative But I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Let's pray. God, there are times I wish I was there watching the combatment or the combating of the religious leaders with Jesus, watching the master handle them, watching the master being like this laser light, this beam who never lost focus, so would always say and do the things that are pleasing to you without error whatsoever, in perfect timing, in a perfect way, with the perfect words, because Jesus is God himself. He is the Son of God. He cannot err. He could not err. He does not err because he is holy, holy, holy. And so God, one of the things that we adore about our Savior is though the world was caving in around him. His enemies were coming in upon him. They did not understand him. They even hated him. He did not lose the focus of his mission. He was this laser light to continue to speak the truth and to live the truth no matter what. So God, help us to learn from our master. Open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You may be seated. The main theme of our passage is just right up front. It's in verse 12. Let's look at it for a second more closely. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, but the sentence does not end right there. He goes on to say he who follows me will not walk walk in darkness will not walk it will not live walk conduct their lives in darkness Now what flows from verse 12 is this dialogue from the scribes and Pharisees, it's very antagonistic, by the way, isn't it? As we just read through it, you can, you can sense the antagonism, the confrontation from the religious leaders that is going on here. As Jesus is teaching, they're interrupting. Let me give you a few examples of this in our own passage this morning. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. It's an accusation, by the way. Again, in verse 19, So they were saying to him, where is your father? This was an interrogative question. It's also followed again in verse 22. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He's not going to commit suicide, is he? Because if he does, he's not going to heaven. He's going to hell because people who commit suicide don't go to heaven. Okay. And so we're not going to follow him there, so to speak. And then you have it again in verse 25. So they were saying to him, notice the, re- the reference, they were saying, they were saying, they were saying, verse 25, the fourth time, who are you? I want you to notice something. This is going to continue to build even into next week. You've got to understand what's going on here. The antagonism is growing. It's growing to the point to where in verse 44 of this chapter, we read this. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. Whoa, whoa, wait, he's turning it out many notches at this point, right? And then in verse 59, the very end of chapter 8, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. So this confrontation that has been going on is now heated up again, and in chapter 8 alone it's just growing, it's building to the point where he says, you are of your father the devil, and in verse 59 they want to pick up stones and throw at him. But in order to understand this development, we need a refresher on the course of light. What Jesus means by saying, I am the light of the world. So let's do that for a minute. And the reason why that's important is because it's important to understand what Jesus is meaning by what he says, I am the light of the world. And then it becomes very important of why the religious leaders and the scribes and Pharisees responded the way they did. And it all centers around the meaning of I am the light of the world. So so it's very important, it's very significant that we understand the meaning of light as Jesus uses it in reference to himself. This first appears in chapter 1 of John. Turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. It's in the introduction of his gospel, this I am the light of the world. In verses 4 and 5 of the Gospel of John, we read this. In him was life, and the life was the, there it is, light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then again in verse 9, there was the true light, which Coming into the world enlightens every man. What does he mean by this, John? Well, to understand the meaning of light, you've got to understand in the introduction, this is couched, in John saying that Jesus is the creator. Everything you see, everything you witness, he's created. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He created humanity. Men and women, he created birth. He's created everything that we see. And John uses life and light in verse 4 together. They can't be separated. Think of it like this. Jesus is the source of life, and since he created life, he's also the source of truth, which is light. So if you want to understand the meaning of life, where do you go? To Jesus. Since he created life, the only way to understand life and purpose and how we got here is from the words of Christ himself. That's what it means by light. If you want to know the truth about your existence, how we got here, where we are from, our purpose as human beings, where the world is going, what happens in the end, what the future is, Jesus is the truth the answer for all of these questions. Why? Because he's the creator. That's John's point in his introduction. And so when John brings us up again, Jesus in the, in the tab, in the temple on the heels of the feast of tabernacles, he says, I am the light of the world. If you want to know about why you're here, if you want to know who God is, you want to know about creation, how you got here and where you're going, I'm the truth about that. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what light means. What he's saying is, in fact, I was there from the very beginning of creation. I am the Son of God. Hebrews 1, 3 says, He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Colossians. One fifteen and sixteen says this for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He even created the atoms that we cannot see. he created the molecules, he created the planets, the the, the stratospheres, all the spheres around the earth he 's created everything that Man can create to see. He's created. And even the things that man, the human eye cannot see through the microscopes that it's invented, he's created them. You understand? There's nothing that man can create to see that God has not created. Does that make any sense whatsoever? You get the point. He even created the demons before they fell. He created Satan before he fell. Everything. I mean, he's holy, holy, holy. This God that we talk about in the scriptures, the God of the scriptures, he's a whole other. And that's why to compare him with a human being is idolatry. It's nothing but idolatrous. And that's what sin basically is in a that nutshell. That's what darkness does. It, In order to bring God down, it elevates humanity. We do it as human beings. If I can't elevate myself, I'll drag others down to make me look better. But that's, in essence, what humanity does, what Satan does, what the demons do with God. That's, in a sense, the essence of sin is trying to make God to be somebody he's not by dragging him down and lifting humanity up. And so we see this meaning of light. He alone, that is Christ alone, is the one by whom men truly see God for who he is. That is in the sense that when we gaze at Christ, when we gaze at Jesus Christ, we're gazing at God. When we hear Jesus Christ, we're hearing the words of God. When they, the scribes and Pharisees and all the Jews during Jesus' ministry, when they saw his works, they were seeing the power of God. When they saw the death, burial, and resurrection, they were seeing the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. That's why over and over and over again, Jesus equated himself with his father and says, I could do nothing apart from my father. There's this perfect unity going on there. It simply means that Jesus is the, Jesus Christ is the purest and truest revelation of God. He is the light. That's what that means. Let, let me, let me illustrate, and I've used this illustration, I don't know how many weeks or at least a couple of months ago. Today we live in a well-lit world. Okay? 50 years ago, 100 years, not that well-lit. At nighttime. We have created. We, you know, we have our little uh, floodlights on our houses. We have streetlights, and they all come on at night. And so we have spots of lights. You know, if you fly, you ever fly in a plane at nighttime and gone over towns or cities and see all these spotted lights and everything? You, you know, that, that's neat. That's those are spotted lights in darkness. This is not what it means by Jesus is the light of the world. But then that's what man. We created things to help us see at night, right? But God created the sun. When the sun comes up, it's not a spot in darkness, is it? No, it illumines everything. That's Jesus Christ. He is not a spot. He is not a light in darkness. He dispels it totally. When he shows up the second time, think about it then. The radiance of his glory is going to fill the earth at his second coming. When his judgment, therefore, is not going to be a spot on the planet. His judgment is going to cover the whole planet. That's why in heaven, in Revelation, there's no need for a son because he is going to be the light. This is the holiness of God to the nth degree, Beloved. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I am the light of the world, he's not saying, I am a floodlight on the corner of your house. He's not saying, I am a streetlight in New York City. He's not even saying, I'm the combination of all these lights in New York City, so when you fly over, you see all these beautiful lights in the midst of darkness. He's saying this, no, I dispel all the darkness of the universe. Why? Because in the end, sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God nor darkness, nor evil. And so, beloved, that's our blessed hope. That's why we want to be with him, because there will be no darkness around him. That's why we're going to shed our flesh. There will be no sin, no more tears. There will be no struggle against sin, because we're going to be in his presence, and in his presence there is no darkness, there is no evil. That is our blessed, that's his promise to those who trust him. That's why John says in 1 John 1, 5, God is the light, and in him there is no darkness at all. As the physical sun is to the earth, the Son of God is to humanity. He is the light. So let's get back to our text. Let's understand it a little bit further. Let's go. Look Look at your Bibles. Let me turn back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Notice he says, not walk in darkness. I am the light of the world. I am the exact, perfect representation of God. If you really want to know about God, if you really want to know about eternal life, if you want to know about how you got here and the future of this world and the future of creation, you're only going to get it from me and me alone. There's no other source you can depend upon except the scriptures which God has written for us, which all point to who, by the way? Jesus Christ the light of the world. But notice the next statement. spent a lot of time in this whatsoever. He says, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness. The assumption of Jesus here, or what he knows, not assuming anything, is that he's telling us actually that we we are already walking in darkness, but if you follow after him, you're not going to walk in the darkness. What is darkness? It's the opposite of the light. It's sin, not righteousness. It's evil, not holiness. It's ignorance. Darkness is ignorant. You know, lost people walking, we used to walk in darkness, right? I walked in darkness before I came to Christ as the one that illumined me and gave me understanding of who God is and now why I'm here and that He saves. But He delivered us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Which means sin no longer has a grip on me. I'm no longer under the dominion, the power of sin. I am now under the dominion and the power of Christ. I am no longer ignorant of grace and the mercy and the love of God. I now understand it. And now I want to keep learning it and growing it. And I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the light of God who is Christ. But notice what happens. Verse 13, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And these, by the way, are the teachers of the day. Let's not forget that. You have Jesus coming on the scene, and all of a sudden he's teaching in the temple. This is not the first time. But as he's teaching, what was typical of the day is as the, the rabbi or the teacher was teaching, it was kind of an open-air thing, open-air teaching. And so it was kind of open for discussion, or people could make their comments as the rabbi was teaching. Okay. It was a dynamic to how the Jews did it back then. And so immediately in verse 13, the Pharisees say to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. There's an accusation because in Deuteronomy 17 6 and 19 15, you could only be a witness, you had to have two witnesses to a truth in order for that truth to be valid. And he was witnessing of himself, and that's what they're pointing out. But notice Jesus' twofold response to this. In verses 13 through 18, particularly 14 through 18. First, in verse 14, he says this. My testimony is true. Even if I testify about myself, okay? Say so you're right. I'm testifying about myself. I'm saying the right thing. Now, why is he saying that? How could he say that? Because he's God. Jesus can't say anything else. He can't lie and say, I'm not God to save his hide from the crowd. And he will end up in verse 30, which is our lesson of all this. I can only do what pleases the Lord. I can only do, which means I'm going to speak the truth no matter what, even if it hurts, even if it results in my death. What a lesson right there, folks. So that's the first of his two-part answer to their question in verse 13, or their accusation, excuse me, you are testifying about yourself. You can't do that. That's not the Old Testament law. That's not what Deuteronomy 17 and 19 say. And I love what else he says in verse 14. For I know where I came from and where I am going. What's he saying? I came from the Father, and I'm going back to him. That's what he's saying. And you're, you're clueless. You are so clueless. You are so wrapped up into yourselves. You are so much in darkness. Darkness has gripped you. Ignorance has gripped you. Evil in your own sin has just so gripped you, you cannot see. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. So the scribes and Pharisees, though they, though they have their own sin nature, you have Satan Always appealing to unbelievers, having them only think about themselves all the time. To keep them blind in their own ignorance. But, beloved, it's only the gospel that delivers from this ignorance. And that's why we are truth tellers. And the truth is, Jesus Christ is the light. He is the only one that has the power to deliver us from our own sinfulness. That's the gospel, the good news. And so we call people to come to Christ and respond to his lordship. And in essence, I think he's doing that here as he's talking to them. But you see, as Jesus tells about himself and proclaims himself more and more, their hearts get harder and harder and harder. And that's another reality in evangelism. When people hear the clear gospel, there's no neutral zone. There's no gray matter. That person that's hearing the gospel is either going to get a little bit harder and callous to it, or they're going to get softened and warmed up to it, so to speak. And the difference is the work of God and the life of that person. By nature, man will not understand. By nature, their own sin nature, man is ignorant. And so as the preacher, the evangelist is preaching the gospel, we in our hearts are praying, God, God, Open up the eyes of those unbelievers in that audience. Holy Spirit, do a work in their lives. Convert them. Make them alive. Born them again. So they can see, so they can hear, so they can run to the foot of the cross and grasp on to the crucified Christ. And then open up their eyes to see that he's risen from the dead. Amen? How often today, and not only in the world, but in pulpits, are we see and hear men ashamed of that message? So they begin to tweak it, water it down in hell, lest they get lamb blasted. But you don't see Jesus doing that here. He just keeps ramping it up, man. He just keeps ramping it up. And, and he has opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to kind of water it down to back off because he knows as he continues to move forward, the opposition is just going to ratchet up more. It's going to become more intense. And he realizes in verse 44 that it gets so hard and he says, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> That's not very pleasant, folks. I'm back to a Jew back then, it's probably a, a modern day swear word today. It'd be the equivalent of. I mean, you know, we, we often see Jesus' mild-mannered kind of guy, but no, when the right opportunity came, he just, boom, he laid in on him. I, I, I love the comparison between this and last week's sermon with the woman that they drug into the temple. Jesus has a totally different approach to sinners who know they're sinners versus sinners who think they're righteous, like a religious leader. He's very harsh over here. But very understanding and compassionate and merciful over here, beloved. You know why we're here this morning? Because this has been us. We're over here. You know why you're over here? Because of the grace of God in your life, because of His power, His work, the dwelling of His Spirit in you. It's all of grace. We cannot boast that we're over here and they are over there because of anything we've done. You know we're going to boast in. That's why we sing in the morning. We're boasting in Christ. That's what song. And worship primarily is all about is just boasting in Christ. Oh, let's go on. Second of all, in verse 15, he says this. On, on top of verse 14, the second part of his answer is in verse 15. You judge according to flesh. I am not judging anyone. And I wonder if he has the adulterous woman in mind at that moment. Because they're all, not only judged her, they're judging him. It's kind of a both-and here. And their judgment is wrong. They judge according to the flesh. Their they, they judgment comes from their darkness, their lack of understanding, their ignorance. But the law has been given to us. I got the Ten Commandments. That means I can do everything. I know it all. No. But we sometimes get into that trap. I'm a Christian. I know it all. Not even close. Being a Christian does not mean we know it all. Being a Christian means God knows me and loves me and accepts me in Christ regardless of my sinfulness. Christianity is not about how much one knows, but that they are known. Never forget that. Please never, ever forget that. Verse 16. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. In other words, verse 14, hey, if I testify to myself alone, it's true. But here's part two, verse 16. But I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. If I testify by myself, that's great. I can't lie. I'm God. But there is two, and the other one is my Father. That's all he's saying here. And then verse 18, he kind of sums it up. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. 18 is like a summary of 15 through 18. So he just kind of summarizes it. And then they respond in verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your Father? They were getting this. But why weren't they getting this? Not because they were really seriously seeking after him. It's not like, I wonder if he's true or not. No, they were ticked off. He was interrupting the religious system. Judaism. That had become way different than the Old Testament. I mean, they were, you know, they were it, okay? And so he was interrupting their world. And they didn't like it. Stop right there. Praise God when he interrupts our world. The world needs the interruption. But a lot of people don't like when God interrupts. Don't tell me about my sin. That interrupts my lifestyle. The world says, shut up about God. Or if you want to talk about, just tell, talk to me about how loving he is. Don't tell me he's just. Because that part interrupts my life. Because then at that point I get uncomfortable. At that point you're going to tell me that I do things wrong. So leave that part out. Just tell me that God's loving. Right? But no. Jesus came in and he interrupted the world. He interrupted the leaders. He interrupted people. He even told the women, and with the gentleness early on in chapter eight, that they drug in the adulterous woman. He goes, "Sin no more." He didn't sweep the sin under the carpet. He that was his way of saying, "I know you're in sin. But you should stop it. Repent." Well, let's go on. Verse twenty. He makes an editorial comment That is John, who's writing this. Letter. He says in verse 20, now these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. We know that's the context. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. What John is simply saying here is Jesus was working on God's timetable, his schedule. Jesus is so perfect. Not only the words that came in his mouth were perfect, were exactly what the father wanted. Not only his actions, everything, his motives, but even the timing was absolutely of his father. Verse 21 through 25, they say to him again, or then he said to them, excuse me, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Wow. Speaking to the Pharisees, he says, I'm going back to my father right there. That's what he's saying. I'm going back to my father. You cannot follow me because you will die in your sin. Notice that the word sin there in this is singular. In other words, because you refuse to repent and believe, you will die in the realm of sin. You're going to die in that darkness, and you'll be judged accordingly. That's what he means. Remaining there. You refuse to come to me. You refuse to believe in who I am, so you remain in the realm of darkness, in the realm of evil. And it's so powerful, it has shackled you, and you can't get out of it by yourself. You remain under its power, the power of sin. And yet in verse 22, notice, so the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Question. They're rephrasing his question, actually. It's another really, I think, an antagonistic kind of a question or comment here implying suicide, that Jesus would do that. All Jesus does is continue to go on. Verse 23, he was saying to them, he, you know, sometimes they would ask a question or make a comment, and he would just keep on going, not even focus on what they're asking or what they're saying. He just says, I'm going to keep, I'm a laser light. I'm just going. I'm going to keep speaking truth, right? It's, sometimes he addresses their questions. Sometimes he just keeps going, right? Makes me sometimes wonder, are there such thing as stupid questions? We won't. That's another sermon for another day, okay? But in 23, it 20, depends on the age. That's right. Good point. Jesus continues on in verse 23 and 24. And he says this, you are from below. Well, if I'm a Jewish Pharisee religious leader, what am I going to think? I'm not of the devil. I'm from below. Come on. I mean, it's just it's just, it's just ratcheting it up, isn't he? It? It's just getting ratcheted up. And so you got to understand, when Jesus is teaching, you got some feelings out there that are mad. you got people out there with these angry feelings out there. And the hairs on the back of their neck are standing up to where at the very end, they're so angry, they want to pick up stones and kill him. Wow. And Jesus knew this the whole time he's speaking. Every time he ratchets it up, he, he knows what's going on. Verse 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You've got to take note at this moment and compare verse 24 with 21. You'll notice the repetition of the phrase, you will die in your sins. In verse 21, it's in your sin. That is the realm of sin. But now it's plural in verse 24, your sins. Listen, folks, here's what it means. If you are delivered from the realm of sin, you will never have to answer for your sins because Christ will cover them all. But if you are found still in the realm of sin, you will have to answer yourself for all your sins at judgment. But if you trust in Christ to deliver you and you've been delivered out of the realm of darkness, out of the realm of sin, then when judgment comes, Jesus is going to say, Father, I've covered it all. Let him in my kingdom. So notice the play on the singular part of sin, the word sin in verse 21 and the plurality of sins in verse 24. He's saying this, if you remain, if you don't trust me, I will not be your advocate in the end. And if I am not your advocate, you're going to be your own and you're going to have to answer for all your sins that you've ever committed for all time. But if I am your advocate, Jesus says, then I will cover you for all the sins you've ever committed for all time. Even the ones you had this morning or yesterday. And I'll just, in the last 24 hours, every one of us has been tainted with sin. But if you're in Christ, it's covered. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 25, so they were saying to him, who are you? I can't, I got to say it with some attitude. So don't think they were saying it like, oh, who are you? We, we really want to know. We're being honest here. No. Who are you? Okay, I mean, right? She said to them, what I have been saying to you from the beginning. In other words, what have I been saying to you? What have I been saying to you? Verse 26, I have many things to speak to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. I'm just passing on to you what my Father has been telling me to tell you from day one, from the very beginning, that I am the Son of God, that I am the truth, and in this context, I am the light of the world. If you want to know who God is, gaze at me. If you want to know about existence of this world and how you got here and why you're here, look to me. If you want to know what sin is, listen to my words. Verse 27, after he said verse 26, they respond by saying, or John actually puts another, uh, Parenthetical statement in there, In 27, he he editorializes, says, they did not realize. In other words, John is saying that the Pharisees didn't understand that Jesus was referring to his father when he said, he who sent me is true. Okay? When he said, he who sent me, they didn't realize he was talking about his father. And so, again, they remained in their ignorance and their unbelief. So Jesus said in verse 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. To lift up is not referring to the resurrection. It's referring to the crucifixion. We know this because when he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, when you lift him up on that cross and put him down there on Galgotha, then you're going to know. He's going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then you'll know that I am he. Three days later, you'll know that I am him, ultimately because of the resurrection. And then he goes on to say this, and I do nothing on my own initiative, total submission of the son. I mean, I mean the father and the son have a plan, and God made the, God the father made the plan, the son's carrying out the plan perfectly, without error, without a smidgen, without a taint of sin. And he says, "But I speak these things as the Father taught me." And that's all he could do was speak the truth and live the truth. And that's what we see in verse 28 and then 29, which is our lesson for this morning, which I've already spoken about. Verse 29, he who sent me is with me. In other words, I am not alone. I'm the son of God. I bear witness to myself, but he is also the father is with me. There's your two witnesses. And Jesus as the son of God could do nothing else but witness to himself. And speak the truth, right? That's just logic. That's just common sense, actually. But then he says this. For I always, for this reason, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, when we read that about Jesus, we go, perfection. He is holy, holy, holy. But guess what, beloved? We're called to follow his example. The desire of the Son of God towards God the Father is the desire of God's children, the church with God the Father. Do you have that desire? That every morning that you and I get up, we desire to do those things that are pleasing to him, even the tough things, even the hard things, even if you know you're going to suffer for it. Because that's exactly the context of Jesus. Write down, or go here with me just for a second. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is an apostle, right? Later on he'll write this letter. When he's writing this letter, I think he's thinking back and he's he's remembering what he witnessed with Jesus as he talked to scribes and Pharisees when he when he watched Jesus minister in the in the difficulty of darkness, and he saw the opposition towards Jesus growing and mounting and getting bigger and bigger and intensifying. And then we read this verse twenty one of first Peter chapter two for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you, that is you and me, the church, an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. What did he do, by the way? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Who was that? His father which, by the way, is your father. It's the same father. God the Father is the father of the son. But if you are in Christ, then God the Father becomes your father. And if we're in Christ, then we have that same desire in our own hearts as new creatures in Christ, and we want to get up every morning wanting to please him. Even it means doing the hard, difficult things. If it means confession, repentance, saying no to certain things, it sometimes it even means saying no to good things, sacrificing good things for Christ, beloved. That's the lesson. That's the example. All of this. That's what verse twenty nine is all about. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, beloved. Beloved. What about that phrase right there? God has not, if you're in Christ, God has not left you alone. Therefore, you can get up every morning with desire, with the desire to always do the things that are pleasing to him. I want that one phrase to stick and to be etched in our brains, etched on our hearts. Get up every morning, go to bed every night with the thought, God, I want to get up tomorrow morning wanting to please you. What would be that first thing, by the way? Now I'm asking, I mean is this, is it real, what's that gotta be? That you get up and go to work real quick? You go make breakfast? Spend a few minutes with the Lord who loves you. Uh oh. That's called application, beloved. It's called app, it's called applying what God has already done for us in Christ. It's called walking in the example that we have in Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2. It's called being in the word because I want to please him. And the only way I'm going to find out how to please him is by being in the word. I can get it from no other source. But here's the beauty of it. God never expects you to be perfect like his only begotten son. So God has given you something to do every day when you mess up. 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And to cleanse you from all righteousness. That is not a one-time thing. That's an ongoing lifestyle of repentance. Do it every day. God, you know, even on a good day, do it. Because if I have a really good day and I look back, I don't know if I really sinned. And I don't really know if I've had a day like that, by the way. Okay, really don't. But in case I do, I realize this. Even the best part of that day was a little tainted with a little bit of self. And if I have 1% of self in mind... That sin has tainted it. And though that work might glorify God, it's got nothing to do with me being just before God. It's got nothing to do with me having a relationship with God. It's not counted towards that, right? Are, are you with me? And so we, 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 we're supposed to walk in Jesus' footsteps, follow his example, but God good and well knows that as children, we're going to stumble each and every day. And the beauty of it is, when he says, if you confess your sins, he means go to Jesus, your advocate, the one who died and rose for you, just go to the foot of the cross, go to the throne of grace, confess it, and get right back up, renewed in the gospel, and move forward once again. That, in a nutshell, is the Christian walk. Let's pray.